Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer two Sunday morning services with something for everyone. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while the kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, 9.30 or 11.30 every Sunday. Now here's Pastor Marco with another encouraging word. So today's title is Jesus versus self-righteousness. This is the most challenging one. I think I said that last week, but then I started studying for this week. I was like, no, this is the most challenging one because all of us have self-righteousness that we have to deal with. I meant all of us, not the person next to you, all of us. You know, sometimes you're in church, you hear a message, you're like, I wish someone was here. <laughs> and then God goes, yeah, but you're, you're here? <laughs> Hello, somebody. Come on. I'm, <laughs> I'm already preaching. God's like, I made sure you were here. <laughs> and you're worried about who's not here. Hello. Mark chapter 10. It's going to get saucy. Verse 17 says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running, running like a village line. I got winning on my mind. That's what he was singing when he was coming. He was running. Knelt down. Picture this man running to Jesus, kneeling down in front of Jesus, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. At this, the man said, word, done. No, he, he didn't say that. Verse 22, at this, the man's face felt. The man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. 
then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And I want to stop there. I want to pick this up a little bit later. So back out to those commercials. Just leave your Bible right there. Jesus versus self-righteousness. When I was in college, I had a job with my dad. It was probably one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. Worked in a factory, um, making electrical parts, dealing with some serious chemicals. Actually, one of my buddies who was here today, we used to work together. Mario was here somewhere. I think I saw him. Uh, Mario's right there. Yeah, we worked together. Um, Mario's my buddy from high school. We went to high school together, went to college together, got saved together, uh, you know. And then we got married and went our separate ways. <laughs> but we worked in this factory for a couple of years while in school. And the factory was family owned, so we struck a good relationship with the owners. And the owner, we had some really good conversations over time that I felt compelled to buy him a Bible. So I got him a Bible, and I gave it to him, and he was grateful. But then a few weeks later, he came to me angry, and he said, God doesn't like me. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I read it. He doesn't like me. He doesn't like rich people. <laughs> so I said, time out because we need to unpack that. Just like this morning when you read something like this, it shocks you, and it should, right? It should shock your system, unless you're too religious and, and you're just caked up in reading the Bible that you don't even stop to ask, whoa, that's pretty intense stuff, right? But when you read this fresh, it shocks your system. This guy comes running to Jesus, kneels down, it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the conversation doesn't go the way that we thought would go. Think about this for a second. This guy has three things that I think all of us want. Young, rich, and moral. The Bible tells us he's young. Forever young. I want to be forever young. And you want to be forever. You know the words, you just mumble, forever. You know, we want to be young, or at least feel young. We want to be rich. Right? At least pay our bills. Why y'all acting like you don't want to pay your bills? See how religious people are weird? 
No, I don't want any money. Then give me, give it, give it, give it to me. <laughs> and we want to be good people. Right? Three things that all of us could agree upon. Right? Who doesn't want to be young or at least feel young? Some of y'all are dying your hair, you know. <laughs> Who doesn't want to have the financial means to live well? And who doesn't want to be a good, decent human being? Right? Three things that I would say, that's universal. We all want these three things. Are, are you with me so far? So everything seems to be at this young man's disposal. Right? He, he has, if you look up the definition of a young, rich ruler back in those days, he meant like he had means and he had servants. Right? So he had people and things at his disposal to live a really good life. So think about this. Why would someone who is young, rich, a pretty decent human being, come running to Jesus and to kneel? Because kneel means it's a sign of submission, a willingness to say, what must I do? Right? What, would, what, would, what would make someone do that? My friends, this is, this is where I think a lot of people miss the point of Jesus. Because sometimes we hear the gospel preached this way, like if you're a bad person, you need Jesus. If you're struggling, you need Jesus. If you're addicted, you need Jesus. You know, if you're strung out, you need Jesus. I've heard people say that. Oh, that person really needs Jesus. But here's someone who doesn't, on the surface, you don't, why would they need Jesus? Young, rich, good person. Comes running to Jesus and kneels to say, what must I do? Which tells you here, my friends, that salvation is not just about being a bad person. Salvation is not just I'm missing something that I can't think I can conjure up on my own. You know, here's the thing about the Bible. You have to look at the original context. For them, eternal life is not what you think. See, for us, when we say eternal life in this day and age, we think in heaven. We're thinking, you know, when I die, can I go to heaven? No, that's not what they were concerned with because the first century Jewish people were not thinking heaven, they were thinking life on earth. So basically what this man is getting to is, what must I do to inherit a meaningful, purposeful, content life? Because clearly the money is not doing it. The youth is not doing it. Just being good enough is not cutting it. I need something substantial to live my life by, and I think you have something. That I don't. This is not, can I go to heaven when I die someday? They were more concerned with heaven on earth than they were concerned with going to some place after they die. Are you tracking so far? So this is not about, you know, trying to be a good person, because this guy is a good person. He's already a good person. Because that's what usually the gospel you hear is, try to be a good person so you can make it. Are you tracking so far? Most of us, that's the gospel we've heard. 
hey, try to be a good person, don't do anything bad, and then maybe perhaps, perchance, God will like you. Are you with me? So he comes to Jesus and he kneels down because he's got this longing. He knows something is missing. You know, the Bible says that God created us with eternity in mind and heart, that we are restless until we actually find the one who created us in the first place. So what he's coming after is this longing that is universal. This is not an American longing. This is not a Jewish longing. This is a human longing to say, there's got to be purpose. There's got to be fulfillment in life. This is what true salvation is, is to find yourself coming alive. You ever watch the show, The Walking Dead? That to me is a great picture of life without Jesus. It's you are just walking around like a zombie with no life. So salvation, it's not about being a bad person to become good people. No, it's about going from death to life. It's coming alive in Jesus. But interesting, he says to Jesus, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit this life, this, this fulfillment, this purpose, this contentment? Like, I want to come alive. What must I do? And I'm always baffled by Jesus because conversations never go the way we think they're going to go. You would think at that point, Jesus would be like, hey, just pray the sinner's prayer. Come on, say it with me. <laughs> Repeat after me this prayer. And it's all set. Now, Jesus says, why do you call me good? It's interesting, if you look at Jesus' teachings, Jesus asks more questions than he answers your questions. <laughs> it's frustrating. Right? I was a teacher for nine years, and, and, and there would be times the kids were like, just give me the answer. And I'm like, that would defeat the purpose. You didn't wrestle to get to the answer. So you understand what Jesus does? He puts the ball on our court. Hey, why, why are you calling me good? Like, what, what's your angle? By what standards are you measuring good? Is it based on your standards or is it based on God's standards? What is good? That's what Jesus is saying. Because it seems like this young man equates being moral with being good. But think about it. If that was good enough, why is he kneeling in front of Jesus? The thing that Jesus is trying to capture here, I pray you catch this, is he, he's so good. He's so good. He was trying to elevate this young man's perspective on goodness. He says, why do you call me good, by the way? Like, I'm just wondering, like, what's, what's your angle on goodness? Because we all have one. I'm not as bad as, therefore I'm. I don't Therefore, I, you know what I'm saying? But we all have it. We all have calculated our goodness in our own way. I've never, therefore, I, well. But Jesus says, 
Why, why are you calling me good? Like, what's, what's your standard on goodness? Because it's interesting. If you interview people, everybody has a standard of what it means to be good. It's interesting. We do prison ministry. Even in prison ministry, there's a standard of what's good. Guys will judge each other based on their crime. <laughs> I'm serious. Y'all, that, not as bad as that dude over there, if you know what he did. <laughs> and we all do it. Directly and indirectly, we all have our standards. We've decided this is what's good, this is what's not. And it's convenient. Oh, y'all ain't gonna talk to me. It's a convenient goodness. Like, if he puts me in a good light, that's good. But if, if my sin makes me look bad, that's not as bad. But yours? <laughs> Here's a funny one. It's not as bad if you do it, but if the pastor does it? Right? Isn't it interesting? Yeah, but he's a pastor. Oh, okay. We equate morality with doing good, not being good. If I can do some things externally, you can see that's good. But what if the things that I'm doing externally, that's good, but with the wrong motives? What about then? Because like we talked about last time, God doesn't look at the outward, he looks at the, he looks at the heart. We're going somewhere here, my friends. But here's the catch, my friends. Jesus is not only good, Jesus is God. Are you, are you tracking? Yeah. In other words, Jesus is asking a question. Are you looking for a moral standard of goodness or are you looking for God himself? Because now you're face to face with God himself. And guess what? In a sense, Jesus is saying, it's not about being good in your standard. It's about the fact that you need a God who is good. Real good. Not your fake goodness. Not your version of goodness. No, you're staring at a God who is good. We used to say, God is good. And all the time. And God is sweet. And you say, mmm. That's old school church right there. That's old throwback to 1990-something. I don't know. My friends, are you, are you, are you tracking here? Because we're going to go slow here. It's just one of those crockpot messages. So bear with me. What must I do, he says. What must I do? Think about that. He didn't say... What has God done? What has God done for me to inherit this life? My friends, this is the danger of self-righteousness, is what do I do? But the problem with self-righteousness is it, it has different standards based on who you are. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me today. So what does Jesus do? Jesus plays along a little bit here. If it's what you can do, then it's not about God, it's about you. 
So what you're really looking for is not God. You're looking for God to validate you based on your own standards of what it means to be good. So Jesus plays along. He says, okay, let's see how moral you are. Let's see how good you are. So Jesus begins to label the Ten Commandments. But remember, this is the second part of the Ten Commandments we talked about. The first, Jesus skips and goes from six to ten. <laughs> right? He says, all right, let's see how, how good you are with loving people. Let's go to the second part of the tablet. You don't, you didn't kill anybody. That's good. You didn't lie to anyone. Questionable. Well, do you mean like a real lie or a white lie? Because I like brown lies. I don't like. You see how tricky this gets? Technically, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the truth. <laughs> oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me today. <laughs> right? So Jesus goes through the process. He says, hey, well, you seem to be nailing these pretty good on the external. But there's one thing. Because here's the thing. He said those things proudly, like, hey, hey, since I was a kid, man, I didn't kill anybody. That's, I see, that's good. I didn't lie, I didn't cheat, you know, pretty good guy. So in other words, why are you here then? You're good on your own. Why are you running and kneeling? Clearly something is missing. Something is lacking. So Jesus says, uh, let's bypass the typical I'm a good guy. How about we get to your heart? Let's go to the real you, the core of you. When the Bible uses the heart, it's another word for your soul, like the real you. Not just what people see, but the real you. Not just what people see. But the real you. Can we talk about the real you? Jesus says, uh, you, just one thing, just, just, just a little thing. Just, it's a minor. It's minor. You're already a good guy. This is really minor. Small detail. Just a small thing. Jesus says, uh, one minor thing. Why don't you go ahead and sell everything? Give it to the poor. And then we go. I pray you understand what Jesus is doing here. It's the ultimate question in life that Jesus is asking. The question is this. What do you value most? For this guy, clearly, he valued his possessions above everything. Because the Bible says he, he walked away sad. He was excited to come to Jesus, run to Jesus, kneel at Jesus' feet, 
asked the question, but because he didn't get the answer that he was expected. Here's a man, uh, I hope you catch this. Here's a man disappointed with God. Because God didn't meet his own standards. Do you know how many people are disappointed with God because God didn't meet their standards? Now, I know what could happen when I say that. You're like, I'm, thank God I'm not rich. I'm off the hook. Actually, my friends, it's not one size fits all. Because every time Jesus talks to an individual, he challenges them according to their value system. Can I prove it to you? Let me give you a few examples. When Jesus talked to a man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who came to Jesus at night so no one would see him, and he said, teacher, just like this guy, he says, man, you got something. And Jesus said, no, no, your thing is, your, your value, you value your religious system more than you value God. You must be born again. So for Nicodemus, it was his religious value system that made him feel like he was better than everybody else. Jesus challenges that. Then he talks to a woman who had five husbands, was on her sixth relationship. And Jesus says, hey, go get your husband, come back, let's talk. She goes, I don't have one. She goes, you're right, because you've had, but it hasn't satisfied you. So for this woman, it was relationships. Jesus challenged what she valued most was relationships. She didn't know how to be alone to let God fill the void in her heart and her mind. For Judas, it was politics. Judas was a zealot. You know what a zealot is? A zealot is equivalent to someone who is leading the charge against religious establishments and political establishments from a terrorist perspective. Understand this. Judas was a zealot. He believed we should overthrow the government Rome. It's like saying G Judas was part of ISIS. See how we don't read the Bible well? So Judas was like, hey, if I can force Jesus' hand, maybe Jesus will turn violent and we can go to war against Rome. And when Jesus didn't fit Judas' standard of what it means to be a savior, Judas got disappointed and turned on Jesus. So for Judas, it was politics and government. For the Samaritan woman, it was relationships. For Nicodemus, it was religious systems. For this man, it was his riches. So you got to ask the question, what is it that I value more than I value God? I think we're all on the hook. Are you tracking? For the record, there are many rich people in the Bible that God loves. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. So it's not about money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is a great resource, but a terrible God. So it's how you approach 
what you value the most. Are you tracking so far? So in other words, anything or anyone that you put above God becomes your God. And when you do that, nothing else and no one will be able to fully satisfy you. That's why this young man who was young, rich, and a good person was not satisfied. And he came face to face with someone who can satisfy him, but he didn't know his value system. And he walked away sad. But I want you to catch the Bible. you got to pay attention to the little things. The Bible says Jesus loved this guy. Did you notice that? He said he loved him. In other words, Jesus can see right through his heart and see, man, you're empty. If you can just give up this one thing that's holding you from true fulfillment. Because we all have that one thing that's holding us from true fulfillment. For him was his riches. For others, his relationships. For others, his religion. For others, his politics. For others, his fame. For others, his status. For others, his people opinion. Like we all have something that holds us back. And Jesus was trying to say, I'm trying to untangle the stuff so you can really have life. But he won't force it on you. Jesus is sad that this guy walked away from what he needs the most, which is a savior. He broke Jesus' heart to see this man walk away. This man was an idolater. Put other things above God. That's why Jesus said, hey, let me ask you how you do with the second part of the tablets. But Jesus never asked him, hey, do you love God above all things? You know why he didn't ask the question? Because religiously speaking, he would say, yeah, I love God. He said, instead of asking you a religious question, let me ask you a heart question. What do you really value? Says if you truly love God. Remember, love God and do what you will. You see how good Jesus is with the human heart? He goes straight to the heart. He doesn't play religious games. He's going straight to the heart. So, my friends, salvation from self-perspective is impossible. Impossible. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are, you will never be fulfilled, satisfied, happy, content without having God as the true source of your life. It's impossible. That's why they were like, the disciples were like, yo, so who in the world can be saved? And Jesus was like, that's the point. None of you guys, none of you can do, can make God love you more or less. God just loves you, period. Like, it's up to you. I need to share this with you because this is what I believe. This is the number one thing that keeps people away from Jesus. Number one. Number one. Out of all the things we untangle, this is it. Self-righteousness. You know why? Because self-righteousness says this. I get to decide how to be right and how to do God's will. It's not God that decides. I get to decide. And we all run the risk of being self-righteous. I get to decide. I'm a good person. I get to decide what I value most. I get to decide who to be in relationship with. I get to decide how much money makes me happy. I get to decide what religious standards I'm going to go by. I get to decide what's right and what's wrong. I get to decide who to judge, who to condemn. I get to decide. 
That's why people walk away from church sad. They walk away from church in Jesus sad because it didn't fit their self-requirements. And we all have it. People miss the point of the story of the prodigal son. We always focus on the young son. But Jesus was not talking about the young son. He was talking about the old son who never did anything wrong but couldn't celebrate the fact that his younger brother came home from being rescued out of a misery life. You know why he couldn't celebrate? Go read it again. You know what he said? I've been here all my life. I've slaved for you. I've done all the stuff for you. I, 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 I. Why would you celebrate him? Self-righteousness is the greatest obstacle to grace of God. Ultimate. Because here's the thing, my friends. You cannot earn the grace of God. You don't deserve the grace of God. You can't work for it. It's a gift from God to us. Salvation, listen, is, a God, is God's grace to undeserved sinners, knuckleheads like you and I. Paul puts it this way about salvation. Paul, who was a Pharisee, who thought he can earn his way to God by keeping the laws. When he met Jesus, he said this, look, here's what he said. Go to my next slide, Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't say, I got baptized. I got catechized. I made the all-star team. I was an altar boy. I never missed church ever. No, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. I worked hard. For the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Not one human being can boast about God's salvation. Because it's a gift. Anytime you find yourself boasting, you have... You jumped from grace to self-righteousness. Anything that you put before the grace of God makes you self-righteous. Anytime you say, Jesus plus my ministry, Jesus plus my money, Jesus plus my job, Jesus plus my bank account, Jesus plus my purity, Jesus plus my Morality, anytime you put anything Jesus plus, you've missed it. You're in self-righteous category because when it comes to grace of God, the equation is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the grace of God. That's, the, that's it. That's the only thing. Now let me unpack this a little deeper because I told you it's, 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 a, it's a slow cooker. Rich here, my friends, rich here is deeper than just money. He, what he's saying here, it symbolizes Self-sufficiency. It's any time we think we're self-sufficient, we don't need God. That's what the word rich implies here. I can manage without the grace of God. That's what we're saying. I don't need to go to church because I already have my standards. Everybody's a hypocrite because I already have my standards. Everybody's wrong because I know my standards. Self-righteousness will lead us empty 
and void of God's grace. I got my family. I got my health. I got my wealth. I got my fame. By the way, if you live in the United States of America, I think all of us live here. You are richer than 90% of the world. It's just a fact. Now, I told you Jesus is a little bit of a sarcastic person. If you read the Bible correctly, you see sarcasm, you see laughter, you see humor. So Jesus is like, he kind of makes a little bit of a sarcastic remark. He says, you know what, it's actually like, like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is when you think you're self-sufficient. Now, that's a weird thing to say, right? Camel and needles. Needles. You ever seen a little needle? You ever seen a camel? A camel trying to go through the eye of a needle? Sounds weird. Sounds bizarre. But the context is important. Jesus never talks out of context. So we need to go back to the context. Right? In that context, in that culture, they understood this. Camels are still to this day probably one of the highest, tallest animals that you can find. And they are a source of transportation, especially in the Middle East. Right? And so camels were everyday, ordinary vehicles. It's almost like having a Toyota today. So understand that when Jesus talks, he's not giving them some weird context that no one can understand. He's saying, no, hey, you know how we all have camels and it's such a hard thing to get them through the eye of a needle? And you're like, a needle? No, a needle in the context of Jesus' time was actually a door. See, in those days, every city and village had gates. And these gates had these doors that were, they looked like needles. Can I show you a picture of what I'm trying to get to? I can't know if you can see this, but there's a man with a camel, and here is a needle of a door. He's trying to get this camel through this door. But the camels are high and tall, so it was a struggle to get the camel to pull him down to get him in because the camel was scared that this thing was going to hurt him, that this thing was going to mess him up, right? So the camel would struggle to let the owner bring him down so that he can bring him to this door. My friends, are you getting the picture? God is saying, listen, if you're not willing to humble yourself, you won't be able to get into this kingdom of mine. This is the point that Jesus is making. Like, this is why it's impossible. He's saying, listen, on his own, the camel will never go through. He has no idea that on the other side of this door, there's food, there's water, there's rest. But because he sees an obstacle, he looks too small for him. The camel will resist the blessing that's on the other side of his life. You see why Jesus lets him go? Because he's like, where are you going back to? Would you rather live a life of you struggling to make your way? Or do you want to submit yourself and allow me to take you to the other side where there will be blessings upon blessings? There will never be any lack for you. There's nothing that you won't need on the other side of me rescuing your life. You see, my friends, the Bible says this. James, the brother of Jesus who understood this, he said, look, 
And he gives grace generously. As scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud says, I'm not going through that. If I have to give up my money, if I have to give up this relationship, if I have to give up this position, if I have to give up this status, if I have to give up being righteous, I'm not going through that. He says, yeah, you can, you can keep that. But you just can't get what's on the other side of this. C.S. Lewis says, at the end, God will say, either your will be done or your will be done. You catch that? My friends, Jesus is our righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's the hardest thing to grasp in a society that we live by our own merits. Your whole life you've been told you earn things. From kindergarten you earn stickers on good behavior. And then you go to first grade, you start earning grades. And my daughter tells me how excited she is, Dad, I am on the green. <laughs> and then you get a job, you earn a paycheck. And then you earn a living. And then you earn a mortgage. <laughs> it's always on earning merits. And then someone says, but you can't earn salvation. You're like, yeah, I can. Watch me. Watch me earn it to how I pray. Watch me earn it through how I serve. Watch me earn it by helping this old lady cross the street. Watch me earn it by my good works. But the problem is your good works is nothing but filthy rags, says the Bible, because God is not looking at your good works. He's looking at the righteousness of God who is perfect. So, my friends, our only option is Jesus. And he proves that every time he meets someone, he challenges their belief of what it means to be righteous. Never one size fits all. He says, man, I think you might be a camel struggling to go through the eye of a needle. But if you let me, if you can submit, watch what's on the other side of this thing. That's where you find freedom contentment, joy, peace, and eternal life. That's what's on the other side of surrendering to me. See, only God can make you righteous. I love the way Paul says it in Corinthians. Paul says it like this. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, look at this. Jesus is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, here, here it is again, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our sacrifice. Our part is to surrender whatever holds us back. Notice how he felt genuine love for this young man. And he didn't understand, man, if you just surrender that to me, watch what I have on the other side for you. And that's where we kind of left the reading. Because I wanted the first 
make you wrestle with what's holding you back from really loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But look, Peter, who he's like, man, what about us though? Like we left everything to follow you. This is where we left this, the reading. Look, verse 28, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you, assure you, take that to the bank. Jesus is like, I promise you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. He's like, be ready. There will be persecution. In the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Wow. Notice Jesus made sure he mentioned all the things that we hold tightly. Did you notice the things that he mentioned? He says, if you give up your house, your properties, for my sake, if you give up family, because sometimes we don't realize our own families keep us from doing God's will. I've seen people pray for kids and then the kids come and they stop doing God's will because now the kids has become their worship. They worship their children. They worship their children's schedule. They worship their children's time and they don't worship God anymore because now the kids have become the focus. And we say we truly love God, but really is our kids has become the idolater. And I've been, I've been accused of loving doing God's will more than, than spending time with my kids, but they don't understand what I'm doing is I'm teaching my kids what's really important in life. I'm trying to show him what immediately matters because at the end of the day, it's, I don't want them to remember how well I cuddle them. I want to remember how well I minister to them and show them the will of God and the grace of God and the power of God. I pray this almost every day, God, what I want for my children is to get a revelation of who you are. Because if they can get a revelation of who you are, then they'll, they'll figure out their education. They'll figure out how to make money. But if they can get Jesus right, they'll get everything else right. Because if they get Jesus wrong, they'll get everything else wrong. I'm going to stand on teaching my children how to follow Jesus and him alone. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Not education. Not sports. Not fame. Not status. I want them to know Jesus. He said, anything you give up for my sake, I'll give you a hundred times more. You don't know what that means until you actually give up something. To know how God will fulfill you for giving up something. We're adding a Saturday service. You know what that means? Is giving up a Saturday for services. But guess what? When my life is all said and done, I'm not going to remember how many ESPN games I watch on Saturdays. I'm going to remember how many lives got, were healed and restored and blessed in Jesus' name. 
go as far as saying this. We have to be very careful in America to use the word sacrifice. Because I don't think we're sacrificing anything. It's all about priorities. Because sacrifice is this. Sacrifice is giving your body on behalf of people who won't even say thank you. Sacrifice is giving up your, your CEO status in heaven and becoming a servant and giving your life as a ransom for many. That's sacrifice. We need to stop talking about this thing like we're sacrificing. There's 160 hours in a week and we come to church maybe two hours in a week. We call it sacrifice. My friends, that ain't no sacrifice. It's about priorities. Go do the math. God gives all of us 168 hours. How is it that some of us have time for some things? It's about priorities. We make time for what's important to us. We need to stop using an excuse. It's about priorities. What do I value the most is what Jesus is saying. Whatever you value, you make time for. Whatever you value, your money reflects. Whatever you value takes up. Your time. That's what he's saying. Hey, yeah, I know you guys did. Guess what? I'm going to pay you back a hundred times. He said, I assure you. And when Jesus says, I assure you, take it to the bank. He's saying, man, you're going to lack nothing in this life and in the life to come. He says, listen, it's about your priorities. You can stop playing. I thought you started playing. You know. <laughs> it's flowing. So you got to think about the values. He said family, property, income, status, people opinion, career, all the things that we think are going to take us to heaven. He says if you give up those things for my sake and do my will, watch me, multiply it, and you will never lack a thing. My friends, I, I don't lack anything. Because God is faithful to provide. My wife and I were just talking about this. It's the little things that you appreciate when you have God at the center. I was just literally cutting the grass and going, thank you, God, that I have grass to cut. Thank you, God, that I have a lawnmower to cut the grass that you gave me to cut. Because I don't take any of it for granted. It's all a gift from God. I don't owe any of it. My job is to be a good manager of, of, of everything he gives me. The grass, the children, the, 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 the marriage, the church. It, I'm just a manager. I don't own it. It changes the way you live. When you know, like, I don't own any of this. He owes it all. Like, he just, he's borrowing. He's letting me borrow it. Go read your Bible. He says, one day I'm going to come back. I want to know, how do you use what I gave you to invest how did you use the time, the talent, the treasure, everything I gave you? How did you use it? Did you use it to conjure up a kingdom for yourself? Or did you use it to further my kingdom on earth so that more people can know who I am? I want to give you this quote that messes with me. I love this quote. It's dear to my heart. It's from a missionary who was killed in the line of duty. He was young. He went to Ecuador to the indigenous people, try to preach the gospel to them. They were primitive in their thinking, didn't understand it. Threw a spear on him, cut right through him, killed him on the spot. 
And you're like, is it worth it? I don't know. Ask him when you get to heaven. Ask his son who took upon himself to go back. And the very man who killed his father got saved. That's for forgiveness. And the whole tribe got saved because this man sacrificed his life. But he said this before he died. He said this powerful. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. My God. Do you understand that? Because in our American minds, I don't think we understand it. We're too materialistic to understand that the things that we're trying to keep, we can't keep. But, but, you, but if you can give it away, you gain that which you cannot lose. You can't lose salvation when you are rooted in Jesus. You can't lose eternal life when you are rooted in Jesus. Money comes and goes. Relationships comes and goes. Career comes and goes. Jobs comes and goes. But you can't lose your identity and your status in Jesus and his righteousness and his will and his purpose. And he said, if you give it up, I will give you a hundred times more in this life and the life to come. You can't lose. The game is rigged. Remain standing. I'm going to pray. The game is rigged. You can't lose. The enemy tries to tell you, oh my gosh, look, look, you lost. You can't lose. You can't lose. Whatever you give up for the Lord, you can't lose. You're gaining. It's a reverse kingdom. Look at what he said. The first will be last. The last will be first. I really believe when we get to heaven, the people that God's going to highlight, you would never heard about them. Because they were quietly doing the business of God. Can't lose. I know we live in a society where we love celebrity pastors. I don't think that's the people that God's going to highlight. It's the ones behind the scenes. Giving up possessions, giving up time, giving up talent, giving up. And God's like, listen, when we get to heaven, watch me reverse this thing and show you the people that you never paid attention to. Can't lose. Even when it looks like you lost, God's like, nah, this thing is rigged. Can't lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That is awesome. That, my friends, is untangling all this stuff from God himself. You cannot lose. When you see everything as a gift, all of us are on borrowed time. I don't know if you understand that. We all, all of us are on life support right now as we speak. The very breath that you breathe is a gift from God. When you stop breathing, you stop saying God, and God says it's time to come home. The job you gave, God made a way. The relationship that you're in, you couldn't pull it off without God. I told a, a young man the other day, I'm like, man, this girl you're dating, that was God, bro. I know you. You can't do this. Like, that's, that was God. Then I told a young, another young man who's, who has a heart broken right now, I said, bro, can I tell you from experience, you're going to get to the place where this broken heart is going to make you thank God they didn't answer all your prayers because you would have been in trouble. <laughs> that job they let you go, 
one day you're going to look back and go, man, thank God, because that's what opened the doors for me to do what I'm doing right now. The money that you lost made you realize, wow, I was worshiping money. I wasn't worshiping the source of all resources who is. My friends, we got to be a camel who is with, because we do it reluctantly, don't we? Like, we have a hard time just letting our head come down and bow down. Because we, we're like, no, but I got a lot of money. This relationship, this thing. You don't understand. Nobody understands. Jesus is like, well, you can do it that way or you can submit. And I'm talking to people who have been in church forever because the longer you are in church, the longer you're on the risk of becoming self-righteous. To think like, I got here. Come on, would you lift your hands to the Lord? Let's pray. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. Reveal yourself. I believe you have revealed. Holy Spirit, help us now to surrender, submit, and devote ourselves to you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I pray that's us. I pray that's us. God's people willingly surrendering everything. Time, talent, treasure, relationships, family. For we know, Lord, that we will gain a hundred times more. Maybe you're here today, you never surrender your life to Jesus. You've never, you know, you, you can either walk away from here sad or you can walk away from here glad. You can be that young rich guy who says, man, nah, that's too much you're asking. Or you can say, man, there's not enough that I could give for what you've done for me. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, please share it with another person. And for more information, visit our website, newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.